Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Good morning to those of us, those of you who are joining us in the room and also online. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving, even if it was a little bit different this year. Um, We're going to be in 2 Samuel 12 this morning as we pick back up our Life of David series, and we find David at a major crossroads in his life. Last week, if you were here, and even if you weren't, it's a familiar story, uh, Jeff preached over David's sin with Bathsheba. And so the reason that I say we find David at a major crossroads in his life is because we get to see this week what happens next. What happens after the major failure in David's life that's going to set the trajectory for the rest of David's life? When we think about David, we usually think about the kind of big events in his life or or the big things like David being called a man after God's own heart. We think about David killing the giant Goliath. We think about the military victories and the the success that he had as king. And we also think about his sin with Bathsheba, but usually we think about the sin with Bathsheba as the exception to the rule. Overall, David was somebody who walked with the Lord and his failure was not um, common in his life. But the reality is if it weren't for the chapter that we're looking at this morning, David's life could have been completely different. Instead of this contrast that we've been making between Saul and David all throughout our study in Samuel, we could be looking at two Sauls, two people who were rejected by God because they walked away from God, two kings who fell and did not live up to the kingship that they were supposed to have under God. As you see, at this point in David's life, he's just committed two major sins. He's not walking with God, and if he isn't careful, he'll end up rejected by God. But... David repents. Unlike Saul, David turns back to God. And this story is so instructive for us this morning because we'll see how David is able to do that. We are all going to find ourselves in 2 Samuel 12 moments in our lives. We're not all going to commit adultery, obviously, but we'll all commit sins that threaten to rip apart some area of our lives if it's not left in check. We'll all come to these major crossroads, maybe not because of sin, but where the decision we make affects the trajectory for the rest of our lives. So we we all have much to learn from 2 Samuel 12 this morning. So let me just give you the lay of the land, where we're going before we start. Um, In this chapter, we've got multiple stories. First, we've got Nathan rebuking David for his sin, and David repents. Then we have the story of David's son becoming sick and dying. Then we have Solomon being born. And then the chapter ends with David back in battle where he should have been when he chose to stay home and ended up sleeping with Bathsheba. And the Israelites win the battle. They return home to Jerusalem in a state of peace and all is well. So just like, just like Jeff has been asking multiple times throughout this series, why is this here? Yes, these stories are here because First uh, and Second Samuel are history. These stories happen, but not everything that happened is written down. So why are these stories included in the Bible? What can we learn from them this morning? 
And as I studied these stories, I really saw three main themes that run throughout each of the stories but tie the whole chapter together as a unit. And those themes are the seriousness of sin, the importance of friends, and the hope of the gospel. And so that's where we're going this morning. First, we're gonna look at the story of Nathan rebuking David and David repenting. And we'll zoom in and look at the seriousness of sin and the importance of friends. Then we'll jump down and look at the story of David's son dying and we'll look at the seriousness of sin and the importance of friends. And then we'll kind of zoom out and take this big picture look at the hope of the gospel that isn't obvious, but is sprinkled all throughout this chapter. So I'll start reading uh, in 2 Samuel 12, verse one. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and, and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? Jump down to verse 13. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. So just to sum up what we've seen so far, because I know that was a lot, you've got Nathan, David's friend, he's a prophet, we've seen him before in the story, and he comes to David and he tells this little story. He says, there's a rich man who has many flocks, and there's a poor man who has one little lamb that's really like a child to him. And a guest comes to the rich man, and instead of that rich man taking one of his many lambs to prepare for the guest, he goes over to the poor man and takes his one lamb. And David gets enraged and he, he wants the rich man to die for his behavior. And as soon as David responds that way, Nathan turns to David and says, you are that man. And at once David knows what Nathan's talking about. He's not talking about lambs, he's talking about David and Uriah and Bathsheba and the sin that David's committed. And David is sorrowful and he repents of his sin. And even though he says that he deserves to die, God spares his life. So what does this story teach us first about the seriousness of sin? Well, one thing is that sin ignores what God has done for us. We see this in verses seven and eight when Nathan is speaking as a prophet on behalf of God and he tells David, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives. And if this wasn't enough, I could have given you even more. But it wasn't enough for David. David had been given incredible blessing by God, including multiple wives, yet David wanted another that wasn't his own. 
Remember, this is the same man who wrote Psalm 23 that, David, or that Chris preached on earlier this month, and, and it starts out famously, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yet in this moment, David wanted something that he wasn't supposed to have. David had completely ignored the fact that God brought him out of this life as a shepherd where he had basically nothing, brought him into the kingship, gave him all the blessings of this world and the blessing of communion with the God of the universe, and David ignored it all. Do you see how offensive that would have been to God? I haven't really had this experience yet because our daughter is only seven months old, but I can imagine that when you have kids that are a little bit older, they probably do things that make you angry or disappointed because you felt like if they actually realized how much you had done for them to go to that school or to play that sport or to have that car or those things, then they wouldn't have acted as they did. They wouldn't have squandered that opportunity. They wouldn't have, have not taken care of the things you had given them. And when they do that, it makes you disappointed. It makes you sad that they've looked at what you've done for them and just said, "Uh, it's not really enough, I want more. And that's basically what David is doing with God here. And it's the same thing that we do when we sin. When we sin, we ignore what God has done for us, the blessings that he's already given us and, and want something else instead. And just like as parents, that grieves us, it makes us disappointed, God is grieved by our sin as well. Well, this story also teaches us that sin is serious because it ignores God's word. So not only is sin serious because it ignores what God has done, but it ignores what God has said. In the next verse, in verse nine, God, through Nathan, says, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? God had clearly forbidden adultery and murder in the Ten Commandments, and yet David does both. Well, unfortunately, I can't keep using a parenting analogy because kids never ignore what you say, do they? Well, obviously they do. Kids are very prone to know what mom or dad has said and do the opposite. David's sin, our sin, is just like that. We know God's commands and yet we choose to disobey them anyway. And I wanted to keep using that parenting analogy because I think it helps us kind of get our minds around a little bit the seriousness of sin. It's so easy for us to just dismiss sin as this this light and minor thing. It, It doesn't really matter much. After all, God's forgiven us, so what's the big deal? But as parents, your child's disobedience isn't going to make you love them any less, but it is a serious thing. It does grieve you, it angers you when they continually ignore you over and over or look at what you've done for them and say, it's not enough. It makes us sad, it hurts us, and it grieves God when we sin as well. Uh, Last night we were uh, reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to Imogene before she went to bed, and I really liked how it it said this about sin. It It was the story of Adam and Eve, and it said, Adam and Eve hadn't just broken one rule, they had broken God's heart. Sin separates us from God by breaking his heart. The last thing on the seriousness of sin before we move on is that sin is serious because it affects more than just yourself. As God is rebuking David through Nathan, he says that you struck down Uriah. You took his wife as your wife. Your household is in disorder. In other words, many, many people have been hurt by David's actions. 
David's sin made him feel guilty, yes. It made God grieved, yes. But it also hurt many, many people. That's what sin does. It's so easy for us to think that these thoughts, these desires don't hurt anyone. My anger is really just inside. It doesn't come out much, but nothing stays inside forever. David didn't just decide in that moment to sleep with Bathsheba. As Jeff mentioned last week, the situation was already ripe for David committing this sin. David had probably been having lustful thoughts. He had probably been desiring things that weren't his. And then those little internal sins gave birth to this major sin that hurt many, many people. So we should let this story be a warning to us that sin never just affects us, it hurts the people we love as well. Well, the next main theme in this chapter also has to do with other people, and that's the importance of friends. Remember how I said that David could have ended up just like Saul. Here we learn a big reason why David didn't. It's because David had Nathan. The first thing we should see here about the importance of friends is that we all need people who will speak into our life. David had Nathan, but if he didn't, David's entire life could have been very, very different. We are all going to come to these crossroads in our lives. Maybe it's because of a sin we've committed. Maybe it's because of a sin somebody else has committed against us. Maybe it's just a big decision that we have to make that has nothing to do with sin. Whatever it is, we all have major turning points in our life. We all have that in common with David. But do you also have a friend like Nathan in common with David? If we as Christians don't have friends who can speak into our lives when we fail and we will fail, or when we need guidance, and we all need guidance, then we are in danger. I think a good place to start here would be to ask, well, how do we know if our friends meet the criteria of being like Nathan? After all, we live in a culture where we have thousands of friends online, but what good are those friends when you stumble and fall or need guidance? They aren't gonna be very useful. So I think with Nathan, we see two things that we should look for to know if we have friends like this, or what we should look for in friends like this. And the first is that they know us. Our friends should know us. You remember how Nathan first came to David? He didn't come in angry, calling David an adulterer or anything like that. He told a story. He brought out David's emotions towards injustice, and then he confronted David. And I think the reason that Nathan did that is because he knew David so well. He knew that the best way to confront David, to rebuke him in his sin, wasn't just gonna be to come in angry yelling at David. It was to stir David's emotions, to tell this story, and then to rebuke David. Do you have people in your life that know you like that? Again, many friends does not equal many friends like Nathan. We have to allow ourselves to be known and be friends with people who care enough about us to know us like this. Well, the second thing that's important about Nathan is that he's close to the Lord. In this story, God is actually speaking through Nathan because Nathan's a prophet. And of course, I'm not saying that our test for our Christian friends is that they need to be prophets. In fact, if they tell you they're a prophet, that's probably a reason that they shouldn't be a friend like Nathan in your life. But the point is, Nathan is close to the Lord. Do you have friends in your life that are close to the Lord. Christian friends that just like to hang out on the weekends are fun to hang out with, but if they're not walking close enough with the Lord to speak truth 
and grace into difficult situations, then they won't be much help in our 2 Samuel 12 moments. So church, if you are a Christian, you need Christian friends like Nathan in your life. That doesn't mean that all of our friends have to be Christians or even that all of our Christian friends have to be like Nathan, but we all need some. It's not a matter of, when, of if we will need friends like this, it's when. The question is when we need them, who will be there? Well, if you're hearing this and feel like you don't have any friends like this in your life, which is probably a common theme in our culture, there's a couple of practical steps that, that you can start with even now. The first is that you could join a small group here at our church. Or you could ask an older member of our church to kind of be a mentor to you, to serve as a Nathan. But I do wanna be clear that just doing those things, just joining a small group, just having that relationship, isn't going to mean that you have a friend like Nathan. In our small groups, in our relationships, we have to be honest and authentic with people. Within our small group, we have to allow ourselves to be known. Maybe you're already in a small group and you don't feel like you have friends like Nathan in your life. If that's true, I just encourage you to press in, to keep it up, to continue to go deeper, to allow others to know you and to care enough about others to know them as well. I really like how one author defines friendship. Um, He calls friendship vulnerability across time. Vulnerability across time. And I think that that really captures what we need in order to have friends like Nathan. We need to be vulnerable with people and we need to do that in a long-term commitment that allows friendship to develop. This is not an easy thing. It's, it's hard work and it takes time. If you already have people in your life like Nathan, then the, the instruction for you is to go be a Nathan to someone else. People need this. We all need this. So go and be Nathans to the people around you. God has made us for community and in community we flourish. We flourish because the correction we need when we fail is there. We flourish because the guidance we need when we're stuck is there. We flourish because we have people around us who believe the good news of the gospel and can speak its truth into our lives when we aren't feeling it on that day or that week or that season. That same author who defined friendship as vulnerability across time also says that together we beat back the darkness by exposing it to the light. When the darkness of our lives is exposed by the light of vulnerable conversation, we participate in opening our darkness to the power of the gospel. Whatever that darkness is for you right now, whether it's a sin struggle, anxiety or depression, loneliness, fear, in community we have more power than we have in ourselves to beat back that darkness with the light of the gospel. This story teaches us that we can't overstate how important good friends like Nathan are in the Christian life. So that's the first half of 2 Samuel 12. And for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read the rest of the chapter, but I will read a couple of verses to give us the context. So uh, we'll pick back up in uh, 2 Samuel 12, verse 15. And the Lord afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to him, bore to David, and he became sick. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground. 
but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. Well, obviously, this is a story that it might make us a little bit uncomfortable because as a direct result of David's sin, God causes the child born to Bathsheba and David to get sick and to die. And there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that we could unpack, but the question of how God could do this really is a whole sermon in itself or even a whole sermon series. And so we're gonna leave that question for another day. And hopefully it's a day that Jeff is preaching and not me. (laughs) But we do wanna ask that question, why is the story here? What does this story teach us? And I think the answer is that it teaches us that sin is such a serious thing that it requires punishment. God is a holy being, and what that means is he can't just overlook sin. It would be unjust of God to overlook sin, and he's a just God. So in this story, David has killed another human being. The punishment for murder that God has laid down is death, and so someone has to die. But in God's sovereignty and for his divine purposes, God steps in, he spares David, and his son dies in his place. Sin requires punishment. Another thing this story teaches us is that sin causes brokenness in our world. We probably aren't going to see someone directly get sick and die because of God's direct intervention in our world, but we see the effects of sin all around us. Broken relationships, anxiety, lost dreams, hostility, pandemics, natural disasters, even death, are all a result of sin in our world. Even when we aren't the ones committing the sin, life is hard because sin is so prevalent. And so here's where friends come in in this story. In the midst of David's sorrow and brokenness, look at verse 17. The elders of his house stood beside him. David had friends around him to support him. Friends that didn't just celebrate when he celebrated and ate the best food and drank the best wine at David's table, but they were there for him when he grieved. Could you imagine going through what David went through alone? We don't know where David's family members are when this is happening, but I think we can guess that things probably aren't very good between David and his wives and his children because of what he's done with Bathsheba. So there's the potential that there would be nobody there for David in his sorrow. But the elders were there. His friends were there with him in the midst of this situation. Well, friends, I don't have to tell you that life is hard. It's not a question of if we'll have times like this where we face suffering and sorrow and feel like we've hit rock bottom. It's when. The question is, again, Will there be people there supporting you when you do? Do you have friends like these who don't just want to hang out when you're having a good time, but will be there for you when you're at your lowest? We need people like these in our life. So if you have friends like this, then give thanks to God for them. And if you don't, work hard to find them. Well, as we've looked at these stories, hopefully we've been able to get a glimpse of just how important friends are in the Christian life and also just how serious sin is. And now as we kind of look towards wrapping up, I want to tie in the hope of the gospel in this story. 
But I wanted to start out with, you know, seeing how serious sin was, because I think that one of the reasons why so many Christians in our city and in the Bible Belt culture don't take their relationship with Jesus seriously is because they don't understand the seriousness of sin. And when you don't understand the seriousness of sin, you don't really see a need for a savior. And so Christianity just becomes something that's part of your cultural identity. It's something you do, but it doesn't really have any effect on your daily life. But if we're able to grasp the depth of our sin, if we're able to see how offensive it is to a holy God, if we're able to understand how it causes the brokenness that we see all around us in our world, then our response is to ask God, well, how do we fix it? What can be done to remedy this situation? And 2 Samuel 12 has not left us without an answer. Sprinkled throughout this chapter is incredible hope in the midst of incredible failure and incredible sorrow. And so that's where I wanna end this morning. We're gonna look at the end of each of these two verses and look forward to Jesus. So first look back at verse 13. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David murdered another human being and therefore he deserved to die. He was done. God's anointed, the man after God's own heart would be killed for murdering Uriah. The kingdom would be destroyed. The Davidic line would be over. All hope was lost. Yet God stepped in and put away David's sin. There was nobody else who could have pardoned David. David was at the top of the hierarchy in Israel. His fate was sealed until God stepped in and put away his sin by the death of another. And this picture of forgiveness is meant to teach us about our own forgiveness. Our sin is such a serious thing that it deserves death. Even the smallest sin deserves death. Murder required the death of a murderer, but in the Old Testament, there were still regular sacrifices, the death of a living thing that had to be offered to atone for even the smallest of sins because the punishment for sin is death. So we deserve to die physically, spiritually, in every sense of the word because of our sin. Yet just like God stepped in with David, he's willing to step in with us as well. And before we look at how um, God steps in with us, I want to look at Psalm 32. I really wish we could uh, have looked at this psalm in a little bit more depth because most scholars believe that Psalm 32 was written after uh, David's repentance from his sin with Bathsheba. And so it's a great look at David's heart in this situation. So you might want to look at this more on your own this week and study it in depth. But I want to look at the first line and the last line of this psalm to see in response to God's forgiveness, how does David feel? So Psalm 32, verse one, David writes, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And then at the end of Psalm 32, he says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David is overjoyed This emotion is flowing out of him because God has forgiven him. The only way that David could feel this way about his forgiveness is if he understood just how offensive his sin was to God and just how amazing God's grace was to him. He says, be glad in the Lord. Blessed is the one who is forgiven. Man, may we all feel that way towards our forgiveness. I know for me, it just becomes a routine thing sometimes. Well, of course God's forgiven me. 
I want to feel more like David towards God's forgiveness. So how does God pardon us? We'll look back in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 24. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son and called his name Solomon. So at first glance, there's not much there. David gets a new son. I guess that's good, but he still had one son die. So what's the hope here? Well, it's all about Solomon. Solomon was the continuation of the Davidic line. Solomon was the next step in God's covenantal plan for his people. And it's so fitting that we're uh, ending here as we start Advent and look forward to the Christmas uh, season. Next week, we're gonna start a series in Matthew 1 and 2, and Jeff will be preaching on Matthew 1 and the genealogy, but I do wanna go there really quickly before we close. And I won't steal Jeff's sermon, but Matthew 1, 1 through 17 is the genealogy of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but usually when I come to genealogies in the Bible, I'm tempted to skip it because it's a lot of names we can't pronounce and what's the point anyway, but there is incredible truth, at least here in verse six. Matthew 1, verse 6 says, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So Solomon wasn't just this new son that was born to David, but he was the continuation of this line that was pointing towards Jesus. God had redeemed David's sin and used it to bring about this new child, Solomon, who years later would bring about Jesus. Without Solomon, we don't get Jesus. David had tried his best to mess things up, yet God was faithful to him. God had promised that David's line would endure forever and would continue, and in the midst of the death of one son, we have the birth of another who continues that line. Of course, David couldn't see the full story, but this whole chapter, 2 Samuel 12, is pointing us towards Jesus. This chapter teaches us that sin is so serious that it requires punishment by death. It teaches us that only God can pardon our sin, and it points forward to that day when God would cover every sin. God put away David's sin, but in the process, David's son had to die. God puts away our sin, not by the death of our children, but by the death of his. There's no more need in Christ for sacrificing animals on a daily basis to atone for our sin. There's no fear that that God would uh, take the life of our children in order to pardon us because he's already done it in Jesus. What hope we have in Christ. None of us are good enough. None of us measure up. We all deserve, just like David, to die. Yet God took the punishment upon himself. He took what we deserved. So 2 Samuel 12 is holding up for us in flashing light saying, God is faithful and Jesus is coming. God is faithful, Jesus is coming. Forgiveness of sin, freedom from guilt and shame, ultimate purpose for your life is available in him. May we believe that and celebrate that, especially in this Christmas season. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are sinful people who run away from you every day. Just pray, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your grace in our lives. We pray that you would continue to draw us back to yourself. Pray that you would surround us with 
Christian friends like Nathan who can speak the truth of the gospel into our lives, who can help us to follow you more deeply on a regular basis. Father, it's all by grace and all by Jesus' strength. So we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.